Great, so welcome. If you're a visitor this morning, you are joining us, obviously, at the beginning of a new year. How, how is everyone feeling, by the way? Because tomorrow, apparently, is the most depressing day of the year. Is everybody feeling okay? Do we need some warm hugs? It's all going to be fine, people. It's not going to snow. It's going to warm up. Spring is coming. Okay, that's my bit just to cheer you up. So this is our second in our new series this year, and it's actually a series that for us as a church is setting the scene for what we believe is the whole year, because we are looking at the giants in our life this year, and we are believing that this is a year that we will see giants fall. And this series is opening, therefore, looking at this, every giant must fall. What is that about? So what I'm talking about is the giants that we face in life. You know, we all come up against them, things you didn't think that you would experience, things you didn't think would happen, the stuff you don't have the answers for, you don't know what to do with. And so we're looking in this series at how do we face giants, life's most difficult things, how do we do that? And this morning we're going to look at something that's really important in how able we are to face up to the giants when they suddenly loom big on the horizon. And that is about security, our security, our emotional security, how secure we feel as people. And it's kind of interesting because in thinking about this talk and chatting to people in the week just that's running up to today, what I found is, you know, we actually don't talk about security very much as people. What we talk about a lot more is this. We talk about insecurity quite a lot. And if you Google insecurity, you'll find endless articles about what to do if you're insecure. I think this is because we live in an insecure world. Here's a story you might have missed this last week. Frankly, I would have missed it if it wasn't for my daughter, Leah. Those of you who don't know her, Leah is 13. Now, this is a picture from Instagram by Kylie Jenner. Who knows who that is? Yeah, don't worry, I didn't either. She's very famous, just not to us, apparently. But Kylie Jenner, this is her world record-breaking Instagram post. It's a picture of her daughter. And she got 18 million likes for this, which was a world record-holding post. She posted it in February last year. I think she probably felt pretty good about that. What do you think? I usually get an average of about five likes for things I post on Instagram. So 18 million is, is pretty good. I'll give her that. So that was in February last year. So she's held the world record coming into this year. I reckon she felt pretty secure, probably pretty popular. What do you think? Until on January the 4th, this happened. Now this, people is an Instagram post of a small brown egg. And it was posted, actually, frankly, I have no idea who posted it, but it was posted in an attempt to beat the world record. And do you know how many million likes it had this morning when I looked? Just over 49 million. Yeah, 49 million likes for a brown egg. Like I say, I post good pictures on Instagram, people. Five or six is about my average. 49 million. Poor old Carly Jenner, whoever she is. She, she lost to a brown egg. Life is unpredictable, isn't it? So many of the things we think are secure 
So many things our culture tells us to build our life on, like popularity, Instagram links. I really wouldn't build your life on that, unless you're a lot better at it than I am. They turn out not to be as secure as we thought. And the thing is, we know that insecurity, when we struggle with insecurity, it does make us less resilient to life's challenges. You feel less confident, less courageous, less able to stand up to the tough stuff in life, to the giants. And we know, like I apparently say all the time to my daughter, and it's really annoying, that anything worth doing in life is going to be hard. Most of the important things in life are challenging, and we might have to deal with feeling nervous or some of our own reactions to that. They might be giants of one kind or another. So the more insecure we are, the more it limits us to reach our potential. So as we're thinking this morning about security, how do we achieve that? How do we give it to the kids that we're blessing and growing up, whether they're our own or the ones in our wider church family, to little Caleb, to Theo? How do we gift them with security and confidence and courage so that whatever giants they face in life, they're going to be able to face up to them? You know, if you look at definitions of security... You'll see some of, these, some of them up on the, the screen here. They talk about things like being free from danger or threat, ensuring safety, feeling safe, stable, free from fear, free from anxiety. How do we do that? How do we do it in a society that, particularly right now, if you've been reading the news in the last week, seems various degrees of slightly crazy, with so much going on, nothing seems stable, nothing seems secure. We can feel like in order to be secure, we would have to make ourselves super people. We would have to become so amazing. We'd have to control everything. We'd have to get everything right, have the perfect job, make ourselves rich, the perfect family, the perfect kids. How do you do that? Is it even possible? So I want to ask you this morning this question. Can you be secure in an insecure world? And, and if so, how on earth do you do that? And I want to look, we're looking in this series at the story of David and Goliath. And many of us will know that story of David, the teenager who faces Goliath, the giant. But I'm going to walk us through it this morning. So if you're not familiar with it, don't worry. You will see the verses on the screen. If you've got a Bible, or if you've got it on your phone, feel free to look them up. But also you can just sit back and enjoy the story. Because I want to look at what this story teaches us about security and insecurity and particularly share some interesting thoughts about where we might find our security in a world that is sometimes so challenging. So the story opens, it's in the Old Testament, in a book called Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, we'll come across him later. And there's the Israelite army, this is God's own people, right back in the Old Testament when God had created his, this group of people who were his precious, special people. And they were facing an army of their enemies, the Philistines. And you can see on the screen the, the verses at the opening of uh, 1 Samuel 17, which is where the, the bit of the story that we're looking at is uh, written down. And what happened is you've got the Philistines who gather on one side of a valley. I've studied my history. That's good battle strategy to be up high. So they're on one side of the valley. On the other side of the valley is the Israelite army. They're gathered there with Saul. He's their king. At that time, he's the king of the army. So they're facing each other on opposite 
hills. So it starts well for God's people. They are ready for battle. They've got a whole army. They're stood on the hill. They are ready to go. They are confident in it until something unexpected happens. Let's move on to the next bit of the story. And this is when in the Philistine army, something happens. This guy, Goliath, steps to the front. And the story tells us quite a lot about Goliath. It does tell us that he was over nine feet tall. I am, just for measure, not nine feet tall. He is quite a bit taller than me, like, well, quite a lot taller, like more than three feet taller than me. Imagine, basically, he's very tall. Also, we know that he's very impressively dressed. He's got impressive armor. He has a big spear. He has a special person just to hold his shield. That's how special and important he is. He's a giant. And he comes to the front of the army and he shouts across the gap at the Israelites. And he basically just taunts them. So like all the best giants, Goliath comes completely unexpectedly to the forefront. They thought they had just this army to deal with, but something comes to the front that they were not expecting, something challenging, something scary. And what I want to look at first is three really good examples from the way that the Israelite army reacted of how we can often react when we face an unexpected giant in our life, when this happens in the moments we were least expecting it. And the first one is probably the one we like the least. It's fear. Fear is an interesting emotion, isn't it? It's designed to protect us. It's designed to keep us safe. I have a six-year-old son who I think could use a little more fear. He's often throwing himself off things, running into things, generally careering around. But at the same time, fear is the emotion that causes more problems than any other emotion Because we hate it, and ironically, we're often afraid of it. And when giants come out of the blue, it triggers fear in us because they're scary. If they weren't, they wouldn't be giants, would they? And fear, much as we might wish it didn't, often has a massive impact on us. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 11. It tells us the impact that it had on the Israelite army. It said that when Saul and the army heard Goliath shouting, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Literally what that means is, if you look at the original language used, it means shattered, broken. So all that confidence and courage, all the plans and the hopes that they had when they gathered on the top of the mountain next to the valley, this giant pops out, fear occurs, and they are broken. They are devastated by it. Even the king, notice that, King Saul. You ever have those moments where you're like, something bad happens and you look at the person who is supposed to have it all together and they are looking more scared than you are? It's not a good moment. The king is supposed to be the guy who holds it together, but he is as shattered and as broken as everybody else by what's happened. He doesn't know what to do. Our emotions can take us by surprise, can't they? You think you've got it all sorted, you think you're ready, and then something comes out of the the shadows that you didn't expect to face. You think you'll be all cool, that you'll handle things really well. But then that happens and you find yourself just plain shattered, broken, exhausted, devastated. And you know in the story as you read it, this didn't happen just once. Goliath turns up, he shouts a bit, and then he goes away. If only giants would do that. 
What you see happen in the story is he comes every single day for over a month. And the same thing repeats itself. They turn up, they've gathered up their courage, they're going to do it. Goliath comes up and they just, they're shattered. They try and face him, but the fear gets them every time. Fear can have a massive impact on us, even though we wish it didn't. So where does it come from? Number two of the things that we can experience when we face giants then is doubt. Because you think you know why you're doing something, don't you? You've got it all sorted. You've made a good decision. This is the way we're going to go. I'm going to apply for this new job or I'm going to buy this house or I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever it is that you're planning that you're going to do, I'm going to make this decision at work or at home. And then when we start to feel fear, it feeds doubts, doesn't it? And you start to think, oh my goodness, I hope I made the right decision. What if I made the wrong decision? And you can see in this story, Goliath is so clever in everything that he says when he's taunting them because he just feeds their doubts. He says that really scary word, why? Why are you doing this? You idiots, look at me, look how impressive I am. Why did you ever think you could do this? I hate it when that happens, don't you? Did you ever start doing something and you knew why you were doing it? You said yes to doing that big presentation at work or you applied for the job or you chose the A-levels that you were going to choose or whatever it is that you're doing, the college course, and you think you've got it made, you've got it all sorted and then the giant comes out and you think, why? Why am I even doing this? What an idiot. Why did I think I could do this? Ever happened to you? It certainly happened to me. When we come up against a giant, all our confidence can evaporate and suddenly it feels like all we've got is doubt. And doubt is often expressed as a what if. And the what if is the thing that we're dreading might happen and it feeds the fear and fear feeds the what if and it becomes a cycle that builds up. And here we've got the army thinking, what if, what if we lose? It's like it had never occurred to them before. They were so confident going in and then this giant comes out and they're suddenly thinking, what if we lose? What if this is the guy who's going to come and beat our army? And doubt spreads, doesn't it, if we let it take hold. And the reason doubt spreads is because of number three of the things that can happen when we face giants. And that's when we become so aware of our own vulnerability. Because we like to believe, don't we, that we are all powerful. We can control everything. We can make everything all right. We've got it all sorted. And then the giants come out and suddenly we realise how weak we actually are. This could go another way. Maybe we can't change this. What if we can't make sure that this goes right? What if circumstances are actually out of our hands? Some of us will have had experiences earlier in life, painful stuff where we have become all too aware of the reality that actually there's a lot in life we can't control. Sometimes bad things, difficult things can happen, even though we don't want them to. What do you do when you're so aware of your vulnerability? And there's an interesting bit in this story later where David, who I will tell you more about in a second, but he's a teenager who, as I say, ends up fighting the giant. And he comes to see the king, King Saul. Remember him? He's the one who's hiding. 
And he says, seriously, I'll do it. I'll fight this guy. And King Saul is overwhelmed with the vulnerability of this teenage youth who wants to face the giant. And he literally says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine. You're just a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David insists. So what Saul does to try and overcome this painful vulnerability that he sees is he tries to give David his own armor and he places it on him. And David just says, this is ridiculous. I can't fight in this. It's too heavy. I can't move. And it's interesting, isn't it, how often we as people, when we're faced with our own vulnerability, we try to armor up with something else. We try and do something or say something or choose something that makes us feel like either that we're stronger or that helps us forget about how vulnerable we are. So we we deny it. We laugh it off. We refuse to talk to people and be honest about the difficulties we're facing. We throw ourselves into work or we drink a bit too much or I I don't know what you do, but we all do it. We try and armour up with something that helps us to get over the discomfort of how vulnerable we are. But how often is it true that that armour just weighs us down more? And we think it's going to make us stronger and more able to face the giant, but actually it's holding us back. It's limiting us. So we try and armor ourselves up to be more strong, but actually it can have the opposite effect. And fear, doubt, and vulnerability, they're like a powerful threesome that can hit us in the moments when we least need them, where actually what we need is to feel confident, together, calm, that we've got this. And what happens to the Israelite army in this story is exactly what often happens to us when we come up against giants. They run They run not just once, they run every time for over a month that they face that giant. Literally, they flee. Every time they try and face up to him, and they do keep trying again and again and again, their insecurity and fear just overwhelms them. Did you know everything is scary when you're running away from it? Did you ever play that game as a kid where you were going up the stairs and your mom or dad or a brother or sister or someone at home, they would chase you up. Did anyone else ever play that game? Please tell me it's not just my family. You know, where you go and they're like, and you as the little kid, you're like, because it's scary. It's not really scary, but it triggers that little bit of exciting fear because everything is scary when you're running away from it. Fear has most of its power. Giants have most of their power by the fact that we never challenge them. We're so busy running away, we never turn around and face them. And this army are just the same. Their fear of this giant keeps them running away. But what's really interesting, looking at how the story goes, is that their fear of the giant keeps them trapped. They could have beaten him. It turns out it wasn't that difficult. The hardest part of the battle was turning around and looking him in the eye. And their fear keeps them running away, so it steals them from their future. Some of us know how that feels. You're facing a giant and the fear that grips you, the sense of your vulnerability, your doubt over whether you can do it is keeping you from being able to face it. So how do we change the story? What a contrast there is in this story when David comes onto the scene. So this is who David is. He's a teenager. He's the son of a guy called Jesse. He's one of a bunch of brothers 
He's the youngest. The oldest three are actually in the army. They're fighting the battle. But David is the youngest. He looks after the sheep back home. And he kind of runs back and forth from the battlefield with, you know, bread and snacks and stuff to keep them going. But he's not allowed to have any significant part in what happens. He is basically insignificant in the eyes of the people around him at that time. But because he's there bringing stuff for the army, he sees what's happening. He sees Goliath, he hears what he's saying. But David's response is very different. So the first thing he says, literally the Bible tells us, is, who is this guy? He's like, seriously, guys, who is this? He's one guy. Who is he that he's allowed to defy God's army? He's just like, what is this? What's going on? And then there's one thing David does that's exactly the same as the Israelites, except with a key difference, because David runs too, but he runs towards the giant, because he's like, I'm going to deal with this. This is ridiculous. So what is it about David faced with the same giant and actually in practical terms, equipped a lot less well than the whole Israelite army. He's just a teenager. He has no weapons, no armor, no backup of them around him. But he runs towards when they're running away. Because, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the story, David ends up fighting the giant with nothing but a slingshot and some rocks, and he kills him straight out. Like I say, the hardest bit of this battle was the decision to face up to the giant in the first place, which is so often the truth. So I want to think about three things that we know about David that teach us about where he got his security from, what made him so able to face up to this giant, and what does that say to us? So the first thing about David is that we know that he had had a significant experience which taught him about how he was loved by God. It's actually in the chapter before in the book where this story is told that we hear about David for the first time. And Samuel the prophet has gone to David's father's house because God has told him that one of these sons is special. He's actually going to be the next king of Israel. So there's this whole story where he goes and he says to Jesse, the dad, he says, bring your sons out because I need to pray one of them is going to be anointed as the next king. So what Jesse does is he gets all the older sons, you know, the impressive ones, the muscly, tall, handsome, the ones who you look at them and you think, yeah, oh, that could be him. He could be a future king. He could definitely be a future king. And he brings them all out. And Samuel prays with them all and he's like, no, it's none of them. You must have another son. And that's when Jesse admits there is little David. But David, don't be ridiculous. He's nothing. He's so young and he's so obviously not a future king that they've left him in the fields with the sheep. They haven't even bothered to bring him in. So they have to go fetch him. They bring him and lo and behold, Samuel prays and it is David. And this is what God says to Samuel. He says, the, the Lord, God, doesn't see things the way that we human being, beings can see things. People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, we think that in order to face giants, we have to be big and impressive and strong. But God has said to David, no, it's about what's inside that matters. So David knows that he's valued, that he's loved, that he's chosen, that he's significant, but not because he has to make himself impressive in any way. He knows that it's just about what's inside him, his heart, 
the truth of who he is. He doesn't have to put on a show or get everything right or anything like that. And we know that David's experience then of how much God loved him has a huge impact on him. David was a poet. He wrote songs and he actually wrote, there's a book in the Bible called Psalms, which is full of songs and poems written to God. David wrote over 75 of those. Um, And we can see in some of the things that he writes how much his experience of the way God loves him meant to him. This is uh, Psalm 63. And he says, talking about God, he says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. It's a beautiful poetic description of how safe he felt because he was loved in that way by God as who he was unconditionally. He knew it didn't matter what happened. Do you know anyone who loves you like that? Sometimes we're lucky enough, we're blessed enough to have people who do love us like that, even when we screw up, even when things go wrong. But God's love is more complete even than that. It's special, it's unusual, it's totally unholy, unconditional. And the Bible tells us that experiencing that kind of love is transformative. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that perfect love, that's God's love, this complete love, actually casts out the fear that can so often grip us. When we experience God's unconditional love for us, when we truly understand that we don't have to earn it, that it doesn't matter if we mess up, that God will still love us like that, it takes away our fears. It enables us to take the risk of standing up to giants because even if it goes wrong, we know we're okay, God will still love us. Whatever happens, that's something we can rely on. So perfect love counteracts the fear that we experience when we face giants. The second thing David knew is that in that love, in the relationship he had with his God, he was supported. David knows that he is never on his own, that God is with him. And more than that, that God is fighting for him. Because that's how we manage our doubts in the face of fighting a giant, is knowing that it doesn't all depend on us. We know that actually we have backup, we have God with us. Look at what David says to Goliath. He says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel. Today, he, the Lord, will conquer you. David knows it isn't all up to him. He doesn't have what it takes to defeat a giant. Neither do I, neither do lots of us. Maybe you are very aware today that you don't have what it takes to defeat the giant that you're facing, but you don't have to do it on your own. David knew that he had God with him. In the moments when he felt least like a superhero, it was okay because God was behind him. God had his back. He knew that he was supported. In another one of his Psalms, He says this, you, Lord, are the light that keeps me safe. I am not afraid of anyone. Why? Because you protect me and I have no fears. It's an amazing thing to know that you're never alone. Even in our hyper-connected society, we know that loneliness and the fear of loneliness haunts so many of us. And particularly when you're facing a giant, don't you often just feel like you're alone in it? but you don't have to be alone. Facing giants is really tough. So why not take a risk 
and let God do it with you. David knew he was supported. The third thing then that David knew was that he was safe. Because David has learned that in this battle with God with him, he can trust God for the outcome. That even though he feels vulnerable in that moment, he knows that because he doesn't do it on his own, he can trust God for what's going to happen. And David has learned this through his life before this story that we've read today. He talks about it. He says this in the story. He says to the king when he's explaining why he's going to face the giant. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do this to this Philistine. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this giant who I'm facing today. So David has actually faced giants before, smaller ones, although I don't know about you, I don't fancy clubbing any lions or bears to death either. Frankly, I'm happy with even smaller ones than that. But because of that, he's grown a trust in God. He's, he's learned about what he can do. Did you know that your security and actually your confidence it's like a muscle, it grows. So many people come to see me and they just say, I just, my self-esteem is so low, I have no confidence. I don't know who I am, I'm really insecure. And, and they feel like they're stuck there because that's who they are. Some of us are amazingly lucky. We have a start in life that does lead us into adulthood, confident in ourselves, secure, able to face stuff. But if you didn't, and you're all too aware that you struggle with fear and doubt and insecurity, You can grow your security just like David did through experiences, through learning that you in partnership with God can do more than you would ever have thought. So grow it, learn it. David in his early experiences, he could so easily have felt that stuck there with the sheep, he was just wasting his time. But actually, God is teaching him stuff that's going to be utterly crucial in this key moment in his life. And this moment in David's life is like a door that opens up something new in his future. So David has learned through facing his smaller giants, the things that he's going to need to face the bigger giant. In Psalm 20 verse 7, he says, some people trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. By the time he writes this, he's leading his own army. He's learned something about how safe he is, about the trust that he can place in God. This is the ultimate balance to your vulnerability. Yes, you are vulnerable. I am vulnerable. We are all vulnerable. We can't become secure by trusting in some kind of inner power that we hope we're going to magically develop. But God is strong. God is great. God is mighty. And we can trust in him, whatever giants we face. So I asked you at the beginning of today, can you be secure in an insecure world? Can we find a security that equips us with the courage and confidence that we need to face the giants in our life? Well, I want to suggest that we can, but it's not by making ourselves more great or more impressive. Our security isn't in becoming greater ourselves. It's found in learning to root our security outside of us in the great God 
who has got these situations that we're facing, who we can trust, who loves us, who keeps us safe, who's got our back. I wonder where your power comes from this morning. I love this picture. This is by a guy called Charlie Maxey. He's a Christian from a church in London. He's an artist. I love this. He says, where does your power come from? Ask the boy. And he says, from knowing that even in my darkest moments, I am loved. Where does your power come from? Are you trying to face the giants on your own? Are you trying to build a human security that will somehow get you through? Are you trying to become a super person and secretly knowing that you're not going to manage to do it? I wonder, maybe today we all need to take a step of reaching out to the God who longs to help us with the giants that we face. Why don't we just take a moment? We're just going to pray. The band can come back up. And I want to pray for a number of things this morning because we've all come from different places. We've all had different journeys here this morning. We've all had different weeks. Some of you are here as visitors. This may be the first time you've heard me, someone talking about a God who loves you this much. But this is a quiet moment. So you might want to shut your eyes or leave them open if you feel more comfortable. You might want to hold your hands out to God or you can just sit however you feel comfortable. But I believe that God wants to speak to you today in your own moments. Some of you are facing giants this week. And you absolutely need God with you to help. So I'm going to pray. And then the band will play another song, which is just some more headspace for us to reflect, to sing to God, to think about what he's saying to us today. And there will be an opportunity at the end of the service if you would like someone to pray with you or chat more about any of the stuff that you've heard today. We would love to do that. But let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, most of all, we are grateful today that you love us. Thank you, Lord God, that no matter who we are or what we've done, no matter how impressive we feel or no matter how rubbish we feel today, that you love us, you adore each and every person in this room, and you will always love us, no matter what we do, no matter what goes right, and no matter what goes wrong. We pray for the giants that people in this room are facing this week. Lord God, that they would know your presence with them, that they would know they can reach out to you. We pray for people here who may never have thought or heard about a God who loves them that much. Father, we just pray that they would have an experience of you this morning that means something, that they would know something of how much you love them. Father God, most of all, we pray that as we go out of here today into our week, that we would know that you are with us, that we don't go alone. May every single person here know that you've got their back, that you're side by side with them in everything that they face. In Jesus' name, amen.